0: It's good to have someone back with us this morning. <laughs> good to have you back, Steph. We're in Second Samuel, chapter 4, and we'll get through half of chapter 5. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 36, it tells us, Whatever the king David did pleased all the people. The nation of Israel is pleased with David. And they see in David uh, a godly character. That David does not rejoice at the death of Abner. Abner was a general who opposed David. Rather, David shows compassion and he is mourning for Abner. And in this mourning the people, they see their king, David, as a man of compassion. When natural disasters hit the United States, the people want to see our leaders reach out with compassion. Uh, And usually they do. And I have to take my hat off to those politicians that are that are willing to show heartfelt sympathy for those that have suffered. But Abner, who fought against David, he's kind of did a flip-flop. He's kind of changed his allegiance to being against David to now being David's ally. And it's, it's interesting that Abner is... A demonstration, he's evidenced that it's never too late to turn your life around. Abner now turns his heart and his mind and his allegiance over to David. Abner has made what some of us would call a deathbed conversion. Never give up on that loved one you've been praying for. Perhaps all they've ever shown in their life is a rejection of Christ. But we do not know what goes on in a person's heart or in a person's mind in their last moments of life. Salvation is not a long, drawn-out process. It can happen in a moment. When a person simply puts faith into the truth of Christ, that moment they believe, they're born again. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, our future can change. And we have to understand that Jesus told us he came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's his desire to save mankind. And the Holy Spirit works in every life for that turning to Jesus Christ. Don't ever dismiss or think the Holy Spirit falls short, for he doesn't. So let's read 2 Samuel chapter 4, the first four verses. Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron. He lost heart. And all of Israel was troubled. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of the troops. The name of the one was Banah, and the name of the other, Rechab, the sons of Rimeon, the Beroite, and the children of Benjamin. For the Beroth also were part of Benjamin. Some fine names there. Because of the Beorothites fled to Gidim and have been sojourners there until this day. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. And he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came to Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mithshibotheth. Ishobeth, Saul's son, understands that the tide is turning against him. He is the king over the northern kingdom, but now his chief general, Abner, is dead, and his kingdom is on a severe downward slide. And in that day, if you were king, and you're being removed, it was more than simply being removed Look out, because now you had people who wanted to kill you to please those that are in power. You became the prey. For whoever took your place usually sought to kill you and your family. Now remember Jonathan, the friend of David. Well, he was the son of Saul. And Jonathan had a son, Mephibosheth. And his nurse is fleeing with him at the news of the death of uh, Miss Shibetheth. And she drops the little young lad. And he becomes lame from the fall that he took. Probably his bones didn't heal up right or whatever. And he becomes an invalid from being dropped by his nursemaid. But David will show great kindness to this lame child. And this is the beginning of the purge of Saul's family. So let's pick up verse 5 in Second Samuel 4. Then the sons of Rimeon, the Beroite, Rechab and Botnah, set out and came at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishobeth, who was lying on his bed at noon. And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Reqab and Ba'ah, his brother, escaped. For when they had come into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom. Then they struck and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain." And they brought the head of Ishobeth to David at Hebron and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishobeth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my lord the king this day of Saul and his descendants. But David answered Rechab and Banah, his brother, the sons of Rimeon and the Bireni, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversaries, When someone told me, saying, Look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. How much more? When this wicked man have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, therefore shall I not require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? So David commanded his young men, and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet, and hanged them on, by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishobeth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. Things were a little bloody at that time of the world. But we have two captains, two mercenaries of Ishobeth, and they kill him while he sleeps on his bed. They not only kill him, they behead him. They're getting brutal. And they take his head to David. And they expect a great reward. For they have just killed David's opponent, they think. They encounter David. But David gives them an unexpected uh, reaction. They show their evil intentions in verse 8. Your enemy who sought your life, David, we have killed him for you. And it was of the Lord. <laughs> no, well, no, it really wasn't of the Lord. And David has a word for these two killers. And he said, there was a man who brought me news of King Saul being killed. And the father uh, the father of Ishabeth saying... I have killed Saul, and I had him executed at Ziklag. This man expected a reward, and I'm going to do the same for you. You have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed. And David, he's brutal in his execution of these two assassins. They were former officers of Ishobeth. They were captains in his army. But he cuts off their hands and their feet before executing them. That was a Far East custom. Uh, It wasn't enough just to kill your enemy. You had to dishonor them by cutting off their hands and feet. David had a strong sense of revenge against those that took matters into their own hand, who sought out what they thought David would like, and David would come down on them hard and swift. The beauty of David, he was able to forgive past wrongs and let sins, let them be past of those who sinned against him. Because David understood this. God was the one to execute or settle a score, not himself. Wow. Many times, uh, I want to take revenge. Whenever I've been done wrong, and believe it or not, I've been done wrong, I wait for an apology from the person Before I forgive them. But when no apology comes. (laughs) Then I have a decision. I've either got to carry this. Revengeful feeling. Or be obedient to God's word and simply forgive them. There lies the stickler. I must forgive for my own peace of mind. You've heard the saying hate holds the hater, and it's true. And we should always be obedient to Scripture. This execution of the murderers of Isbosheth, it demonstrates David's love for the family of Saul. He even loved Saul's son. Of course, Jonathan was his best friend ever. And it shows all of Israel now the compassion that David as their king has for his, even those that are his enemies. And it's good for the people to see. Chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 16, we'll look at now. But David, he's consolidating his power as king over all of Israel. And he's very popular. And God is blessing David. David. So let's read the first five verses of chapter five. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in times past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people, Israel, and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years, six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all of Israel and Judah. statute of limitations didn't run out on him. He ruled for 40 years. But note the popularity of David. All the tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom, they come to David at Hebron and saying, hey, we're all uh, of the tribes of Israel. We are all brothers. And the elders from each of the tribes anoint David as king over Israel, all of Israel. Judah included. And David, he is a young man. He's only 30 years old. When he began to rule over Judah, and he reigned for 40 years, 33 years over the northern kingdom. And it's interesting that he's 30 years old in this regard. Joseph was 30 years old. When he began to reign over Egypt. Priests had to be 30 years old. Before they could assume the priesthood. Jesus began his ministry. At 30 years of age. You were not a complete adult. In the Jewish system. Until you were 30 years old. I wonder if they let him vote before that. Who knows. But, But now we come to Uh, a kind of a difficult passage. And we will read about the alarm system of the Jebusites there at Jerusalem. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 6 through 16. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusite, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, But the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come up there. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David said on that day, Whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo inward. So David went on and he became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. And David took more concubine wives from Jerusalem, and after he had come from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. Now, these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. And then the next two verses gives you those names. You may want to read those sometime. I'm not going to try to. But notice what's peculiar here. They would place the blind and the lame on the city walls as the alarm system. The Jebusites did. Because the blind, what have they developed in their blindness? A keen sense of hearing. They can hear things that uh, most of us would never even consider. And the lame, they're the alarm system. They cannot flee. The blind hear the enemy coming or making plans, and the the lame would then begin to yell and holler because they can't escape. They're calling out for help. Hey, help, come get us. Hey, we're being attacked and so forth. And this was the Chebusites' alarm system. It was a a good alarm system, but it was ruthless. (laughs) Verse 7, Nevertheless, David captured Zion, or Jerusalem, and... David has two cities that are named after him. And you have to take in context. Are they either talking about Bethlehem or are they talking about Jerusalem? They were both cities that were called the city of David. But in verse 8, David issues a challenge. David knows the city of Jerusalem. He knows that Jerusalem must have a hidden water source or supply. And he says, Find that tunnel, find that shaft, find that aqueduct, whatever. Defeat the Jebusites and I will make that person chief and captain over many in Israel. Well, we're not told who finds this shaft until you get to Second Chronicles 11. And we discover that the person who found this shaft, this water supply, and defeated the Jebusites was none other than Joab the Zurite. Joab, the man David cursed for killing Abner. For Abner had killed Joab's brother, Azahel. Joab was a soldier's soldier. soldier. He, he was like many of us. He had good qualities and he had bad qualities also. But Joab was obviously courageous and bold as a warrior. Joab was a decisive man. There were no gray areas in his life. Don Jenkins is a man I consider with no gray areas. If ever you want to know where Don stands, he will tell you. No grays. And I appreciate that about him. And when it comes down to battle, you have to understand Don's a retired colonel. Uh, He says you fight wars to win. (laughs) And you don't have uh, Korean skirmishes where nobody wins or Vietnam for that fact. But when it comes down to a battle, you know who I want in my foxhole? Give me Don. (laughs) That's who I want in my foxhole. But these lame and these blind men, the alarm system for the Jebusites, we're told that David's soul hates them. For they were using their handicap. In a devious way against Israel. In some third world countries. Begging is a way to survive. To make a living. And some parents put their children on the street. At an early age to be little beggars. And some parents will even. Lame, hurt their children, handicap them, so they will make more money begging because they receive more sympathy. David recognizes these blind and lame watchmen and he hates them because of their occupation. That may seem a little harsh. But the Lord required in sacrifices a perfect lamb. You could not present to the Lord in sacrifice a lamb that had blemishes. You could not bring uh, that that sheep that was limping or something. It It would be rejected by the priest. Jesus became our sacrificial lamb. And he had to be perfect. Translation, he had to be sinless. That was required to be our sacrifice, that Jesus be sinless. But Jonathan, David's good, good friend, had a son, Mishibosheth. And David shows this young man great compassion and kindness. And he would have now, eat at his own table. So David wasn't just hard on the handicapped or the blind. He showed kindness to them also. But David is there in Jerusalem. He's ruling, he's reigning, he's developing, and he's had Hiram building him a house. In verse 10, David becomes great, and the lord of hosts was with him god has given david favor with the surrounding kings and among the, all the people and this king hiram of tyre in lebanon he wants to be david's friend and hiram sends down to david at jerusalem cedar trees He sends down carpenters, masons, to build David a house. The cedar trees of Lebanon were highly sought after timbers because cedar doesn't decay easily. I recently read in an article, uh, just slightly before this time period, You could walk from Morocco on the northwest side of Africa to Tyre and Sidon on the east side of African rift there and whatever without ever getting out of the shade. Today it's a desert, but at that time it was heavily forested and you could walk in the shade all the way from Morocco to Tyre of Lebanon. It's interesting that we have a lot of cedar trees in our area. Some of you may even have a cedar chest. There's a reason that it's made out of cedar. It preserves itself. My old barn, you know I had to talk about my farm life, has a cedar log structure inside. And Cedar trees are good for fence posts. They put them in the ground. Why? They don't rot. But in verse 12, we have a confession and an acknowledgement by David. He is being established as king over Israel. And David is exalted. Why? Because God loves his people and he loves their king, David. The United States is prosperous today because our forefathers writing of a solid Constitution and a good Bill of Rights. We're a democratic nation, electing our own government representatives. We're prosperous because of our great work ethic and brilliance. We are world power because of our military might or, or just perhaps like verse 12 declares, we are blessed and favored by God, lest you think we are great because of ourselves. I truly believe America is great because we embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why America is great. The very basic truth is that many want to tear down and destroy our belief system. We see those that want to take prayer out of the public arena. They've already took it out of schools. Now, now, I'm as patriotic as anyone, except maybe for Don Jenkins. But I understand we are blessed of God. We are blessed. And I have a fear. As America continues to turn its back on the almighty God, I'm afraid we will eventually fall. And at best, become a secondary world power. I believe our president right now is a man God has set up in office for his own purposes and for our benefit. We're told that those that rule over us, it's no accident that they rule over us. David knew God had established his kingdom. Because God favored who? The people of Israel. I firmly believe we as Americans enjoy our nation's prosperity and blessings because God favors us as a nation of Christians. Not because of our Constitution. Not because of our democratic society. But God favors us. Because we honor him. So what do we refer to? What do we look back upon? How do we thank and seek the face of God, our Lord, for his blessings? Be conscious of why we are blessed. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Agree with me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your blessings upon us as a people. We live a charmed life compared to most of the rest of the world, Lord. And it's because you have blessed us. It's not because we are a good people or anything like that. Lord, it's simply because you look on us and love us. And hopefully we respond to you as our Lord and Savior. We thank you for loving us, Lord. We thank you for blessing America. But Lord, don't let us ever begin to think we deserve it. For it is your goodness and your kindness that you give us your blessings. And so we thank you for that. Be with us, Lord. Watch over us. May we honor you in all that we say and do. May we live out... A life before you that is pleasing to you, Lord. And Lord, I thank you for the way you watched over Israel and blessed Israel. And I thank you for the way you watch over us and bless us. You are a good God that we have already sang about. And we thank you for being a good God to us. So go with us. Be with us in our time where we share a meal together. And, Lord, uh, may we just honor you in all that we do and say, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.